Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the third episode of the God Machine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus war game produced by Games Workshop. It's still early days of this podcast, and I hope it isn't horrible. But I've started getting some feedback from the community, and overall, the message has been fairly positive, so thanks. But I'm sure in a couple of months we'll be looking back at these episodes as being particularly rough. So, from the future, I apologize. In this show, I am going to cover recent news and some questions I have been asked by the community. Primary focus will then be the recent FAQ and what I think about the changes it's caused to the game as a whole. Spoiler, I think it's rather good. For all that, some news about the podcast itself. As I mentioned on last week's podcast, I have a Facebook page. Uh, to find it, it's nice and simple. Just search the God Machine Cast and you'll find the page. I've started making posts throughout the week. This week I posted some pictures of the buildings I've recently finished painting that I'll talk about in the hobby section. I also have a Twitter, which I can be found as the God Engine Cast, or at Cast Engine. Though I'm not a huge Twitter person, so don't expect a huge amount of updates. But if you feel like messaging the show through either Facebook or Twitter, please do. If you don't use any of that social media, I'm accessible through an email address, god.machine.cast at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to take questions or feedback from the community. At the time of recording, I'm still pending distribution through Apple Podcast, and I think Stitcher as well. If you have a friend waiting for my podcast to be distributed through these networks, please tell them to wait a moment longer or to directly use my RSS feed to tie into their podcasting app. If you are able to subscribe to this podcast through a podcasting app, please rate and review. Positive reviews and a high rating allows others to find this podcast easier, and it will go a long way at this point to supporting this show. Additionally, rate and reviewing the Facebook page is also useful. Beyond all that, just simply talking to your friends about this podcast will be a great help in making this podcast distribution work. It's time for Games Workshop news. This is the part of the show where I talk about relevant news from Games Workshop over the last week. To be honest, this week there's been very little. There have been no previews and nothing out for pre-order. This coming weekend, the 14th, the next Siege of Terror book will be put on pre-order for the limited edition version. It's called Saturnine and it's by Dan Abnett. Expect this to sell out within minutes. Additionally, the Titanicus FAQ and Arata has been put up on the community site in the Arata section of the site, not just the article they announced its release with. If you downloaded the FAQ, from the article, not the errata page, I would delete the article FAQ and go and download the one from the errata page. There is a small difference, as it includes two extra entries FAQing the Carpace rule onto the Nemesis Warbringer Titan Carpace weaponry. I'm a little disappointed in Games Workshop by not making an announcement that the first FAQ they put out was wrong, and even still having the community article talking about the FAQ link to the wrong PDF. It's a recipe for confusion, um, and I think until we see the next updated FAQ, there will be arguments from some that the Carpe Strait does not apply to the Warbringer Titan. So, I'm just going to say, if you try and pull that with me, we aren't going to play a game together. I think everyone agrees that it was a permission, and seeing it in one of the FAQs is enough for me. 
And finally, community news. Um, this week, the Tabletop Standard YouTube channel posted their part two of their Legio Walks coverage. Um, it's well worth a watch for those of us who weren't fortunate to be at the event. Include some great pictures and reviews of what they uh, did at the game, as well as going over the missions they actually played. Um, the latest Eye of Horus Engine Kill podcast dropped. Uh, another good discussion about the uh, FAQ um, with their usual flair. And across the internet this week, I think the post that stuck out to me was uh, someone showing that the Reva Carpe's weaponries fit on the shoulders of the Nemesis Warbringer Titan in the same fittings as the anti-aircraft guns. This poses a whole wonderful discussion about future Warbringer Titans. I'd love to see a Warbringer with an array of Reaver weapons on its back, similar to that as a Warlord. And it would help fill out a slot again between the Warlord and the Reaver. But we'll see what they do. I just thought the pictures were pretty neat. And I guess it's time for this week's hobby update. I haven't done much. I was able to finish the buildings I've been working on for the last two weeks. I uh, got all four of them painted up. I just got some photos of them up on the Facebook page. I was also able to touch up the Warlord Titan, uh, as I've been planning to do for the last couple of weeks. Uh, so he's all done, apart from transfers now, which is good. I need to really break out the transfers one day. But one a day where I'm going to attack many Titans at once, and probably all my knights as well. I also want to do it near a day that I know I'm going to be able to put sealant on them. Um, so that's just sort of waiting on the weather and my days off to line up correctly, which, knowing Oklahoma, could be quite a wait. Um, so I'm going to, this week, I'm going to start work on my third Reaver Titan. It's armed with two volcano cannons. I've been painting this one on and off for almost a year now, so I just need to push to get it finished. Um, trying to finish the metallics, then I can get onto the armor plates. I doubt I'm going to get him done this week. Uh, I'm working a few night shifts, which will limit my painting time. But I'm hoping to go to OKC on the 20th, so I would quite like to get him done for that game. I have a pretty stock painting system for my Titans. I've uh, used the Games Workshop paints. I've got all of them set up in the different stages of the paint level. So I have a box with all the base levels I put on before I apply the wash. And another couple of washes in another box. And another little box filled with the paints that I go and do the highlights and the trims with. Currently trying to slog to the end of the base basing stage with this Titan. Hopefully try and get the wash on here in the next day or two. It's been quite a while since I've had a Titan finished, so I'm looking forward to getting another one just done. Okay, it's that time of the show where I respond to some community questions. As always, if your questions are your own, you can email me or message me through Facebook. The first question of the day is from Rob from England. He asks, The Legio Defensor trait, Righteous Fire requires some clarification. The trait reads, In the first round of a game, a Legion Defense or Titan may fire one of his weapons twice during its activation. If they do so, advance the Titan's plasma stat reactor status by two places, in addition to any advances associated with firing the weapon. So what he is wondering is that it is it any Titan upon activation, or is it one Titan upon activation? As, in the first round of the game, a Legion Defense or Titan is ambiguous. He suggests that Games Workshop issue a FAQ on this, and I would agree. Though to me, I think it's pretty explanatory that it could be any particular Titan can activate this, as it is an additional statement as you go through the activation order of a Titan. If you are selecting a Legio Defense or Titan in the first round of the game, you can fire one of its weapons twice. If it was intended to be a single Titan, I'd expect it to read something along the lines of one Legio Defense or Titan during the first turn of the round may fire. 
But this definitely is something that needs clarification. Rob also made the point that if it was one singular Titan, then it'd be a very weak trait. And I have to agree with him. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. Next up is a question from Hunter J. He asks, What mana pawn titans would I recommend for running a House of Volcanum list? Personally, he likes the Reavers, and he says he's recently brought a set from a friend. Uh, he wants any advice I can give. Okay, so let's quickly skim through the Legio Volcanum rules. They have two Legio traits. The first allows the mana pool to have two Princess Senioris titans. And the second means that for every titan you lose, you may re-roll an additional dice later in the game. A Legio-specific stratagem means that if you pass an order check, you can pass the same order to any other titans of the same Legio in your battle group. And the twinned machine spirit wargear allows you to form squadrons between two titans for a cost of 20 points a titan. They additionally have Janus pattern missiles that allow you to split fire effectively without the order. The personal traits are okay. They get one which gives you an additional plus one when making command checks, and one that allows you to push the reactor even when you shouldn't, and another that allows you to roll the command dice if you fail a command check. So all that put together rather quickly basically gives them a lot of ways to increase their order dice. The Princeps Sinoris will add plus two to any Titan installed in, and the Trueborn personality trait adds another plus one. And when you start forming squadrons of Titans, they also increase their um, levels. Now, I haven't sat down and crunched the points, but I have a feeling a Ferox Light Manipul with support Warlord Titans is the way to go. You make your Princeps and Yorises, the two Reavers in the squadron, and they both pack Genissary Missiles on their pods. Depending exactly how you set it up, it may be worth twinning souls one Reaver to the Warlord, and those two then can sit at the back and form a pretty impenetrable barrier. You then have the other Reaver and the Warhounds running forward towards the enemy. You may fall into a bit of an activation trap, um, with the squadroning of the uh, Warhounds only being one activation, and then one for the Reaver, and then one for the Reaver and Warlord. So you may need to scatter in some knights if you have the points. But the idea of getting a Warlord with the combined fire bonus of being in a squadron is quite delightful. Equally, you could drop the Warlord and just have the two Reavers in a squadron, flush out activations with knight banners. I do think that uh, any strategy does need to be built around the Reaver being the Primaris, as they'll get the best benefit for it. Um, I hope that helps give you some indications of where to go. And I've put this uh, Legio on my list of Titans to review sooner than later, so I'll have a more in-depth review then. Now we reach the main topic of this episode in which I cover the Frequently Asked Questions and Errata of Volume 1.1. This document at the time of recording was released last week, and I've had about a week to digest the information and see other people's coverage. I'm not going to go over every point in this uh, FAQ, I'm going to discuss merely the highlights, add my interpretation to the changes, and also discuss my thoughts on these changes. There are other places on the web where such coverage exists. May I suggest you check out the Eye of Horus Engine Kill episode on the FAQ. They go through this in a much finer detail than I will, given they have a longer episode. That said, I disagree with several of their points, so I hope I bring something different to the conversation. The first item of errata in the new FAQ is the change to the Blast special rule. Basically, this errata means that if you're out of range when you shoot a Blast weapon, you place the Blast at the maximum range of the weapon and scatter it. But the key line here is you do not roll to hit. 
This is a thematic change to show that the large blast weapons, if shot at a target longer than their range, still has an effect on the battlefield. This rule is a very odd one. I'm really not sure I like it. This is part of the main rules. These are some weird potential rules interactions that I feel may cause more harm than good. I really feel the more elegant solution would have been to work this potential rules into the stray shot optional rules found on page 52 of the main rulebook, as this lists a system already for determining where shots go if they aren't going at their target. Laying these rules for blasts out in the main rules feels to me that there is a chance of abuse. And with more and more players trying to play Titanicus in a organized play environment, rules like this only add to the complexity and time of games. While the complexity and crunch of Titanicus is something I feel is a major selling point, we have to be careful with overcomplicating what we have. I already find that playing three games of Titanicus in one day leaves me very tired, more tired than playing three games of any other game system I can think of at the moment. It is one of the many reasons I find it incredibly fun. But anyway, I'm going to be trying to encourage my playgroup not to use this rule. It's just clunky and rules for the sake of rules, I feel. I feel this should have been definitely added to the stray shot rule, and that's how I will play it in the future. If we're using stray shots, then we also use the rules to say that blast weapons are completely out of range. They'll also scatter like this. It makes sense. If I'm going to do the extra paperwork, I may as well do the extra paperwork for everything. The next piece of errata focuses on knights. In both sections, they have defined to describe banners in the charge phase and in the combat phase. The errata lays clear how smash attacks from knights should work. It's a rather simple change, and one I felt was already the rules and was surprised to see it included. Namely, the knights can only conduct smash attacks against targets of a smaller scale than themselves. Or, I probably should add, equal size as well. Thus, Questorus Knights can only smash other Questorus Knights. Anyway, I thought this change was already in the main rulebook, and I suppose clarification is needed, but yeah. In all fairness, this is exactly the sort of change we want to be seeing in these future FAQ releases. Games Workshop putting out clear statements that back up the rules that we've all read. I think a lot more gnashing of teeth would have occurred if they'd gone the other way and the Sith Knights could always smash regardless of scale. It'd be counterintuitive to the, what we presume the game is. So the fact it just clearly spells out what we all interpreted the rules as is a good sign. Next we move into the main book FAQ. There are four changes in the 1.1 FAQ release. I'm going to quickly run over them. The first change is they clarify clearly what is a unit, what is a titan, and what is a knight banner. It's very simple, and as you would expect. A unit is a titan or a group of knights within a banner. A single warhound is a unit. A group of three Questorus knights is also a unit. If a rule specifically says a titan or a knight banner, it affects those units specifically. They also clarify that unless a stratagem is stated on the card, a stratagem can only be used once. And they also reference the previous errata to answer the question of how knights should charge. Just a simple bit of tidying up and making sure everything is crystal clear. The biggest change in the main Titanicus rulebook FAQ is a change on how void shields work. In the very specific case, when you're in a squadron, you're merging void shields, and you're attempting to go shields to full. In this case, the FAQ clearly describes the procedure. When your squadron becomes a target for your attack, you have to pick a titan that you're using for the shield value. I.e., if you have three warhounds in a squadron, all in base contact, when a shot is made against them, you pick one titan and say, say I am using the three plus save on the shield from the titan in the front. If you then decide to go voids to full, it will be the titan that has to make the machine spirit roll and deal with all consequences of that choice from 
walking away from their uh, units to heat generated. That said, just because it's the nominated Titan for voids to fall, shields can come off all Titans equally as described in the main book. The FAQ also clearly states that should this main Titan have been the target of the attack and you rolled Machine Spirit, you failed the check, and that Titan had walked away from base contact from the rest of the maniple, it is no longer sharing voids. It's quite a specific list of chain of events to happen, and I would have always presumed that had been the case. But similar to the Night Smash attacks, I'm glad they've just clearly listed this out. It closes any doubt. And reaffirms that at least I had a pretty good grasp on the game. And to be honest, I hope most people listening here would have made the same assumption. The final FAQ in the core rulebook section answers the question, if a Titan hits itself with its own blast marker, does it get a void to your save? I know in my own gaming group, this has been a frequently asked question of our own, and uh, one we've come with numerous solutions for at different times, with no real consistency, usually relying on what looked thematically appropriate. The FAQ's fix is pretty simple. It all depends on the distance from the target. If the target was further than two inches away, you would have a... Uh, it deflects back into your void shields. If the target is within two inches, then the blast deflects back onto yourself. This does suddenly make firing a bellicose at close range a lot more viable, which is kind of scary. But on the whole, this is a simple and elegant fix, and I'm glad they've worded this like they have. The final note for the Titanicus rulebook, FAQ. The removal of the designer's commentary from the 1.0 version of the FAQ. In the past version, the designer's commentary laid out how many stratagems you should generate for a game. Namely, you would only get a two-stratagem bonus if the opposing player had more Legio traits than you. Thus, if both sides used one Legio trait, that you only gained the base and number of stratagems. With the removal of this designer's commentary, the number of stratagems in playing games will go up. Given that stratagems add something substantial to the game, I think this is a good thing. That said, stratagems can be convoluted to the casual player. And I'm going to talk about how we can improve the stratagem system in the future for pickup games. It's something I've been playing around with in my local playgroup, and I think there are some advantages to some of the ways we've been doing things. But that is the future episodes. Right now, just know, you'll get more stratagems. We now move to the errata for Titan Death. The first piece of errata is for the Warp Runner special rule, War March. This errata adds a line to the War March rules that basically state that you will only be generating the extra heat during the first two rounds of the game, which are the same two rounds that you get the boosted movement of the special rule. How it previously read was that you always had to roll two reactor dice if you'd ever used, it, used the boosted speed throughout the entirety of the game. This is still punishing, but not nearly as bad as it looked on paper. And again, like much of the stuff in this FAQ, I actually thought this was the rule originally, and only when I went back to reread the rules was I shocked to see it was not the case. The second piece of errata also focused on the Legio Astorum, the Warp Runners. Does it change the personal trait, number three, Ancient MIU? How it works in the core book is that you just roll the dice for an order instead of having to make a command check. Now, you can ignore the shutdown order if you choose. I actually think this makes this personal trait almost useful. It's still highly situational, and something we'll talk about further when I do a study of the Warp Runners. And then ends the coverage of the Titan Death section. Um, there is an FAQ section with a series of frequently asked questions, but they remain the same as they were before. Next up is the errata for the Duma Moltec book. 
first up is the biggest change in the FAQ, the change to the Lawson's rule for the Legio Fortitus. This rule used to allow you to drop a Titan of any class into a mana pool, and it would assume the special rules of the Titan class you were replacing. They have now removed the rule to say you're replacing the Titan class that you're replacing, and they've also limited the Titans that you can swap. They cannot swap any new Titan other than the Warhound Reaver and Warlord. So no Nemesis and no new, new Titan when they are created. I know there's been a lot of complaining about the change of this rule, but I think for the whole it's good for the game. The fact that it was the best ability to put on a Titan Legion in the Crusade rules along with Elite Majors speaks to something, and I'm glad they've affected it. The following errata is in a change to Legion Volcanum, allowing their Precepts and Neuris clones to be in the same mana pool. This is a small change and finally makes this Legio work the way it was supposed to work. Um, I think it took them some time to get a sense of what they were doing with this, and this is a pretty simple change. And I suspect it's what they wanted all along. The remaining FAQs focus on night changes to knights, and are to match the changes in the core book. After this is the FAQ section for the Doom Baltic. The first question is asking if the Titan Hunter infantry stratagem continues to play a new marker every turn. As expected, this is a no. Markers are removed in the end phase. They also clarified that the Vox Blackout rule um, stops orders being issued, as stratagems are played before any order rolls are made. And then there are two questions clarifying how the strapping run works. The strapping run works that the marker moves across the table in the direction you've played it, and void shield saves and flanking bonuses will be taken on that axis. And finally, it spells out that night houses can take supporting titans, but they cannot take supporting manipuls. And that pretty much closes the debate, that if you're taking a knight force, you build with lances with the support titans, and if you build a titan force, you build with manipuls and take support banners. No titans and lances on the same side, or at least in the same battle group. The Shadow and Iron Rata is pretty small. I don't think this represents any feedback from the community, but more of the stuff they spotted themselves as they were waiting for it to be published. Or probably more refers to the fact the plan was not to release this book next. As there has been comments on the Twitch stream, that the order of the books being released has changed. Anyhow, the new weapons traits they list are bypass and taxing. Um, they were both missing from the core book, and they both explain what these rules do. If you have weapons that use these rules, check the FAQ. I'm not going to go into them now. The FAQ for Shadow and Iron uh, references the Rupture Manipul, in which, in which a question is asked about the number of Reavers that can activate powers of the locomotives for free. The response is only one. There is then a five-paragraph-long designer's notes on the Legio Ordax Wolf of Monk's Prey trait, and particularly its interactions with the Lupercal Manipal. I think they really spent some time making sure the rules of direction were properly understood. I'm not going to read it all here on the podcast. Um, if you're running Legio Ordax, check it out. I'll probably go over these rules and instructions fully when I do a summary of Legio Ordax here in a month or two. And that moves us to the most exciting part of the FAQ, and I'd probably add hotly anticipated. Games Workshop have finally issued some erratas for the Acastus Knight. Since its release, the Acastus was seen as being incredibly broken. Its weapons were powerful, and its point cost was pretty low. For something significantly cheaper than a Warhound, you got something with significantly more firepower. And there was much debate, especially in the communities that create their own FAQs, about how to handle this. Many advocated removing traits from the weapons themselves, while others focused on the point cost. In the end, Games Workshop went with the latter, the points of the uh, Acastus going up by about 50%. In addition to this, they also introduced a special rule for this knight. This rule is Auxiliary Knight Banner. 
This rule states you can only have one of these banners in a battle group per mana pool that exists. In addition, a household force can only have one banner of a caster's per lance they have. And also by reducing the number of knights in the banner completely, from 1 to 4 to 1 to 2, they have significantly reduced the number of casters that will see the table. Overall, I think this is a really good change. While I can see the arguments for changing the weapons, this at least is something that works during army construction. It is easy to forget a nerf to a power during a game if you don't have the FAQs to hand. But in theory, during army construction, you should have time to consult the relevant material. So it's a simple balance, and one that's likely to be applied, with a less hurt feeling when people take the casters and use them with the old rules. I actually think they're now pointed correctly. They're now pretty expensive pieces to put on the table for something that has a pretty low durability. There are many ways to take them off the table fairly quickly, and in my experience, a bit of focused firepower from some uh, high-strength weaponry will remove them, especially in the first two couple of turns when those guns don't have good targets to shoot at anyway. Though I still am a little upset at Games Workshop for taking almost a year to put out these changes. I've shown from the Shadow and Iron changes, they can do these changes rather quickly. And if they'd known there'd been a problem when they produced the card, they could have fixed it with an FAQ within the first couple of weeks. I hope this will be the exception to the standard way of operating for Games Workshop in the future. Finally, we moved to the weapon card erratas. First, the Warlord Sinister Carface weapons have been corrected to be the same as the standard Warlords. This appears to be a simple printing mistake and puts everything at a steady level playing field. Next, and a surprise change for some, a couple of days after the release of the FAQ, a new version of the FAQ was released with the same version number. On that new version, both of the Warbringer Nemesis Carpace weapons have had the Carpace trait added, which is good, and an obvious miss. Finally, a frequently asked question about these cards is also raised, basically asking, what does Critically Disabled mean, as it is present on the Carpace weapons of the War Warbringer Titan? The response is, at the moment, it is just disabled. But I think this clearly leaves the door open to some changes that are coming in the next book. Well, that wraps up the uh, review of the FAQ. Overall, I think it's a pretty good document. Other than the changes to the blast weapon trait, there's nothing in here that feels wrong. Everything feels right for this game. And as I've said several times, most of it feels like stuff I already knew. That said, there still are some outstanding questions that need to be answered at some point. Rules interactions between some of the different legios, and places where emissions still appear to exist. For example, the barrage traits on the rupture maniple. I would also love to see a designer's commentary on the special rules found in the White Dwarf art articles, particularly the Crusade Legion rules. But I suspect we won't see that. They rarely FAQ stuff from the White Dwarfs. It's sort of out there and very optional house rule-ish. Even so, I think it does need some work. And given how polished the rest of the game is, it's starting to stand out as something they need to fix. It's my hope we don't have to wait another year for the next FAQ. It'd be pretty nice to see one coming out shortly after every book like we get for the other major game systems. I also wouldn't be surprised to see one after the next event at Warhammer World. And that brings the show to a close. If you have any communications or questions you wish to be included in the next episode, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me at Facebook or Twitter. The next show will cover Legio Mortis, the Death's Heads, a summary of what the Legio is in the background, what their current rules are in Titanicus, 
and how I would create a collection of Legio Mortis if I was to collect them. So, until that next time, I wish you well and good fortune. The God Machine Podcast is covered by the Creative Commons License Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0. Thank you for listening.